0: This is a prayer from the 1662 prayer book um, taken uh, from the liturgy for the holy baptism of infants because um, Romans 6 is where we really move into um, a discussion of baptism and what it means. So, let us pray, Almighty and everlasting God, who of thy great mercy didst save Noah and his family in the ark from perishing by water, and also didst safely lead the children of Israel, thy people, through the Red Sea, figuring thereby thy holy baptism, and by the baptism of thy well beloved Son Jesus Christ in the river Jordan, did sanctify water to the mystical washing away of sin. We beseech thee for thine infinite mercies that thou wilt mercifully look upon us, wash us and sanctify us with the Holy Ghost, that we, being delivered from thy wrath, may be received into the ark of Christ's Church, and being steadfast in faith, joyful through hope and rooted in charity, may so pass the waves of this troublesome world, that finally we may come to the land of everlasting life, there to reign with thee, world without end, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You know, as I was praying, of course, part of my brain was also engaged in the text in some somewhat of a critical, um, I don't mean that in a negative sense, a critical way. Um, <coughs> I like to throw these little peanuts out, you know, this is where our our tradition really stands on solid ground. I mean, this is where, as we've looked just very briefly, such a scratch the surface in in, in some of the densest, most rich parts of our holy scriptures, Romans, uh, where the Bible arranged for prayer and the Bible arranged for worship can really stand up and stand firm. I mean, this is a prayer that's been prayed now for hundreds of years. And it organizes um, much of the scope of the whole Christian history, from from Exodus, in fact Genesis, uh, right through, of course, Romans and, and Revelation, prefiguring, you know, the place where we will reign with the world without end. Um, so I just mentioned that to us that the Bible arranged for prayer book. Um, the Bible arranged for prayer is uh, is a great way to think of our liturgy, of our of our public assembly of worship. So. That was a freebie. Um, uh, so where have we been the last couple of weeks? And let's jump into the text again. We're going to be in Romans 6, if you want to thumb over towards it. Um, uh, uh, last three weeks, this is the fourth week, is that right? Um, uh, we did Romans 1, 2, and 3, where I bit off more than we could chew, um, but, but tried to outline the two tasks of theology, which is actually, which is to say the way life is actually lived. I want to sort of demystify, even deconstruct, to borrow that word, um, the word theology and bring it down to say if if theology has an emphasis on the way things actually are and not just some sort of conceptual arrangement of ideas or something else like that, really trying to separate it from an idea of philosophy or um, theology is for the realm of, of academics where we're just spending a lot of taxpayer money on a bunch of sort of, you know, People who are arguing about arcane things like how many angels can dance on the head of a pin, you know, all that sort of stuff. That's not it. If theology is what's it like to live in this world in a day-to-day, minute-to-minute, moment-to-moment, nanosecond-to-nanosecond existence, our life, uh, our birth, our life, our death, and all points in between, Um, the two tasks, then, of theology are... Are to amplify our sin so so much so that it becomes so great that it kills us. And so there's the language of, of death. And then to declare and to magnify the declaration of the gospel, where the gospel is both good and new, where it becomes good news, to amplify the declaration of the gospel as a statement of fact. That's what a declaration is. It's a statement of fact. That now a righteousness apart from the law has been revealed. That was the thunder at the end of Romans 3. So that was our first week. The second week, the great word that I'm borrowing um, from uh, uh, Fitzsimmons Allison, that the word became verb and dwelt among us, logizemi. I'm trying to make that almost a common word for us, that we were worded. It shows up again today um, that we've been worded. And that the Word, as the Word was present in the beginning of, of, of things, that the Word was God and the Word was with God, and without the Word, nothing that was made, um, that had been made, was made. That it's the Word of God which says um, into nothing be something, and then something is. And so it brings forth into existence. The great way of putting it is uh, that the Word of God does not um, find but creates that which is pleasing to it. And that word becomes love, as love is God, and, and God is the word, and the word becomes verb and, and dwells among us. So all that stuff becomes connected. That was the second week, Romans 4. And then last week, Romans 5, where God showed in historical time His love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinning, while you know, we are in the midst of the lie, the, the, the cheat, the deceit, the betrayal... The the mundane um, uh, place where I'm not even aware that I'm doing it, um, that's probably the most descriptive. Uh, where I'm not even aware, where I'm living practically as an atheist, atheistically, as if there were no God. That also goes back to the first uh, week, because that's our life mostly, I think. Um, we live as if there is no God. Um, at the end of Judges, we live... Uh, most of our lives, um, I don't know what the percentage would be, 97%. Most of our lives, um, doing what we think is right. You know, now the other 3%, I'm very aware that that that, uh, that God exists and I'm I'm not Him, etc. and so forth. But a lot of our life, just the tick, 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 tick. I think that the world is this. You want to place that in a philosophical construct, materialism, whatever else. And I do not mean to go through all this. Um, So, Romans uh, 5, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, and the historical intervention of the the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that he died for us. And that demonstration of love changes everything. All of this comes forward in Romans 6. That's why it's important to kind of bring all this back. Um, Unique in the scripture, uh, Romans offers us a cohesive, tightly woven... um, uh, outline of, of of theology which is to say life actually Romans offers us a tightly woven outline of life actually actual true life so with all that then let's uh let's go into Romans 6 uh, look for these themes um, uh, we're gonna really pick on two of them there's gonna be the first salvo where, where Paul uh, uh Gives what's called the antinomian uh, uh, interruption. Um, what what should we say then? Just should we just sin all the more so grace can increase? Can we should we live as if there is no law? Anti-nomos. Um, nomos is the word for law in Greek. He's going to say by no means. So that's there. Baptism as a deadly attack on sinners by God. Verses three and four and seven and eleven. We're going to spend a lot of time on that. Union with Christ and what that means. Um, this idea of a of a kind of a congenital from birth like being grafted in that we, this newness of life that we we, we mention in our liturgy every week which is here in Romans uh, uh, that as we are born anew um, from John 3 or is that we are now um, baptized with Christ into his death so also are we baptized with him in his resurrection that this new life this new self this new man um, is, is very much sort of a John uh... Uh, what is that? I'm the vine, you are the branches. Is that John 15? Is that right? Know um, uh, that apart from him we can do nothing. That's in here. We don't want to go to that too much. The old man versus the new man. And then he contrasts a lot about lordship, dominion, um, uh, presenting ourselves to our masters. Very much sort of a uh, uh, the image that I have in my mind when I read this is like a knight coming to his king or something like that and presenting his homage to him. Um, we can either present and pay homage to um, our Lord's, the law, sin, and death, and it's like, here is my life, or I can give it to the true Lord, the Kyrios, of God, um, the Lord, here is my life. Um, and so that image kind of comes up. So let's read Romans, one, uh, Romans 6, verses 1 through 12. Let's stop there. What shall we say then? are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means um, by no means it's uh, uh, hard to create more emphasis um, uh, you know blank no absolutely not you know <laughs> everything that is that can't be um, so whatever word you want to fill into that that's what that means what shall we say then passions. Um, We'll continue through 14. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, no lordship over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So, dense, you know, Difficult, overlapped. I'm gonna to try to pick some of this apart and see what we can um, do. But we're not not gonna try to. I'm hoping we're not gonna bite too much. Uh, try to bite too much off um, and not be able to chew it uh, well enough. You know what I'm trying to say. Um, uh, verse three. Let's start there. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? You know, as I was reading a little bit on Friday about this. Um, In one of the commentaries I read, they found in 200 B.C. a recipe, a recipe on how to make pickles. Um, And and it was very helpful because in that recipe, 200 years before, um, uh, 270 years before the book of Romans was written, uh, used both words, bapto and baptizo, which really helps us know what the word baptism means here in in Romans 6.3. How do, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, baptizo, into Christ were also baptized into death? So you take a cucumber, it says, it says, and you dip it into uh, water, hot water to kind of soften it up. That's bapto. It doesn't change the substance of the cucumber. It just, you know, cleans it, changes the appearance. Then you take that and you baptize it, baptizo, into the vinegar so that it becomes something else. It becomes something different. It changes the substance. Now that's baptism. We're not dipped. Um, It's not water. Um, We're not simply, and we don't know how, the mystery of God comes out and all that. That's exactly how this works. Uh, It looks like it's bapto that we take, whether it's a child and we sprinkle or we dunk or whatever else. Um, It looks like we're baptoing, like we're dipping. Um, But there's a baptizo that goes on, that the substance of something is changed, that it's an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Why? Because the word, being worded, logizomai, as the word creates rather than finds that which is pleasing to it, in baptism, God somehow places his word in the water so that the word Uh, which is called the, I mean the water, called the accidents, um, that the water itself becomes um, the wording material, so that the the, the cucumber becomes a pickle, so that the sinner who is dead becomes alive. And so with all that in mind, uh, uh, in fact, let me give you uh, an image of this. Um, Tom Petty, this is a throwaway uh, place. Got a lot of age on. I think this is Kim Basinger. Um, the, the song Last Dance for Mary Jane. You know it's not that great a video and all that stuff. It's kind of weird. Tom Petty gets her from a morgue. She's dead, 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 dead. All that's kind of weird and he dances with her and it's all necrophilia, et cetera, and so forth. But at the very end, we're just gonna see the end of the video. We're not gonna spend all of our time watching it. Um, he, uh, he puts her in water and then she has been dead as a doornail. Um, dead is a door knocker as what's his name uh, Dickens would say Uh, and then she comes to life I'm just saying this is the visual image that I want us all to have in our heads as we're going forward in this class Um, uh, so with that here's a short little piece from Tom Petty and you're going to have this song in your head all day I don't know if he meant to do this, it's an image of baptism. that's it um, nothing more but nothing less than just a visual image that not until she went into the water which had the which was worded the water was logitsimide, and the water brought life um, into death this is Romans 6 3 do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death this word baptism it's not a nice word you know it's funny that the, uh, the, the the biblical stories of Noah and the Red Sea are the stories which we use to describe what we do to our children um, or that we do to adults if you're in the Baptist tradition or believers baptism as it's called either one works uh, that the wrath of God is poured out on the entire world save Noah and his family in the uh, in the story of the flood or the wrath of God is poured out on um, really the justice of God, is poured out on um, on, uh, on Pharaoh's army as they're crossing into the Red Sea, and they are submerged and killed. Baptism is a death. Baptism is an instrument of, of uh, well, as Stephen Paulson said, it's God's attack on sinners. Not just sin, but sinners. You know, I'm trying to put it right out there so that we're having to deal with this. I hope you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Um so it's a little bit ironic, not unlike Kim Bassinger, where we we get all dressed up and everything and we we, we place our children in nice christening gowns, because christening sounds nicer than baptism. And we're dunking them, we are we are putting them under uh, radically beneath God. Now a quick aside, why infant baptism and why did the reformers and the Anglican church still do all that? Because it's a visual sign of an absolute reliance upon God, that we can do nothing and God can do everything. What more than an infant uh, is a better symbol of absolute dependence and complete um, uh, inability to offer any faith, work, belief, whatever else. doesn't have any idea what's going on. It just happens. Now, that's us. We don't know. We are as dead as this woman, Kim Basinger, is, and we're dunked into the baptism of Christ. So... Um, Baptism changes the substance of something, like not a dead body dipped in a water, but a dead body baptized into Christ Jesus and so also baptized into his death. And as there was the word in the water, we can thus be presented, now this comes out of verse 13, uh, we can present ourselves as one who has been brought from death to life. After the baptism, our eyes are opened and we in fact find these strange Strange, strange freedom, verse 7, that one who has died has been set free from sin. That how do we free ourselves from sin? Death. Death is co-opted by God to uh, to free us from sin. And now I want to sort of stay in sort of a catechesis mode, do this, and then we'll shift gears to the Dalai Lama. Um, uh picking up what I did a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, this internal uh, conversation that I hope we all have uh, with the law and then also with the old self and new self. So with all that in mind, this idea of difference between being dipped and being baptized, that she was dead as a door knocker, and then she was dipped into the worded water, and she came back to life, uh, that we should begin to have this conver- something, a conversation similar to this. Law, which is the instrument of our death, remember law, the thing which amplifies our sin so much that it kills us. Law, I see you and I know you and I recognize your power, but you see, you must have me confused with somebody else, the old Adam, the old self, the old man, as it's called here, for I am dead and the law has no power any longer over a dead man. As I have been given to die only once, the power that you have, law, as well as your fellow tyrants, sin and death, They no longer have jurisdiction over me. My loophole, my defense, is that my jurisdiction ends at death, and I am dead. In my death, something strange has happened, like a grain of wheat that falls into the ground dead and then bears much fruit. But if it does not die, it remains alone. Uh, In this death and the peculiar freedom which follows, I find myself now united in Christ, hidden in him. So then, and I wrote all this out, which I'm reading it, um, we used to train children and adults in what's called a catechesis method, where we'd often have something like this, like this uh, sort of question and response thing. So I made that up. So the sinner, uh, my old self, is talking to the gospel, going back and forth. So the sinner says, why am I unable to do anything to cause or to help create this grace? Um and then the gospel comes out. The preacher, the one who declares the second task of theology, says, "Because now a righteousness, now a way to stand before God, not in fear but in love, has been revealed." The gospel says, "Because you are dead." <laughs> and the sinner says, "Well, I want to do something. How can I, or, or can I, or shouldn't I just keep on sinning so that grace may increase?" Romans 6:1. And the, and the gospel says, "You can't. You're dead." How can you sin if you're dead? So the sinner says, so if I'm dead, what does this mean? And the gospel says, it means that you are free. For the one who has died has been set free from sin, and freedom means that you are no longer your own God. And the sinner says, and how does this death mean life? And the gospel says, because God placed his word in the water, which means that you are worded as dead to yourself and alive in him. He brought forth life from death. and made something exist, the new man, That did not exist before. And then the sinner says, And how do I make sense of the rest of my daily existence, hour to hour? And the gospel says, That's for next week. (laughs) Um, That's Romans 7, the whole sort of, you know, uh, the continuing nature of sin, Romans 7, the thing that I want to do, I don't do, and the thing I don't want to do, that's the very thing I keep doing. What then is the, the, the way out of this knot? That is next week. So with all this playing out, I want to sort of leave it there, um, knowing that I'm not untying everything, because I do want to get to a part two of the class. Um, this radical idea, this new idea, let me say it's not radical. Well, it is radical, um, because it's going to stand against sort of common wisdom. Um, if the way that I said, okay, we're going to lock the door, I've ordered pizza for us all week, and we're going to make up a new religion, and we're going to leave on next, next Friday. We'd probably come up with something similar to what the Dalai Lama comes up with um, or a lot of other religions. It's going to be based in law. Um, talked about that one of the weeks. It's going to be based on, we should do this and we should do that and we should do this, but the gospel is going to say something completely different. It's going to say, no, 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 you're dead. You're dead in your trespasses and sins and you're united with Christ so that now you no longer have a master except him. For no one can serve two masters. Um, Your uh, citizenship has been transferred to a whole different dominion. So now your lords are no longer the law, sin, and death, the world, the flesh, the devil, but the one Lord, Jesus Christ. Um, And in a real sense, the Bible even goes so far as to make me very uncomfortable and says, and that means you now can no longer sin. That's where it's really going to come into Romans 7. Does that mean I don't have what the Bible calls concupiscence? It's a good old word—just these lusts, these desires, this covetous nature, this that—that that I'm never satisfied with what I have. And the Bible's going to say, "No, that's not what I mean." But now, everything that you have is not counted against you, um, and everything that you don't have is now counted for you, because that's how the wordedness happens. And so all this begins to play in. So. Um, so the, 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 the thunder of Romans 6.3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And then it continues in verse 7. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. And then it uh, finishes in verse 11. So you must consider, that's the word logizomai. So logizomai, so word yourself as dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus that if this is the way things actually are, that when I'm dipped, not dipped, when I'm baptized uh, into the wordedness of the word, that I become something that I wasn't, uh, that's how I'm unable to sin. I hope you're having all sorts of questions, because that's where we're going to go next week in, I think what's called, the either or and the both and of Romans 7. But let me hit pause. I'm going to go a little bit into the Dalai Lama. uh, With uh, 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 a well, let me hit pause. Any comments or questions? If you're unable to sin, what do you call it when you do? (laughs) You call it sin. Um, uh, Because it's going to be. I do need to get a little word. When when it says you're unable to sin, your your sin is unable to be counted against you. And that's where Psalms comes in. And where is it? The psalm, uh, I forget which psalm it is, where God says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has God cast your sin from you. That we are unable to have our sins counted or worded to our account because all of our sins have already been worded to Christ's account. And that's a big precursor for next week, but some of y'all may not be here. so. I should let you know, in case you you know, you die tonight, then you'll know what you're doing. <laughs> um, uh, so that's the sense that it makes when it says you're you're unable to sin. Now it leaves me in this stinking, rotting flesh um, as a wretch. That's the that's the language Paul is going to use, and we got to make sense of that. Um, I'm going to attempt that next week in this this both and either or. Um, for today, think of that image of we are dead, we are dead. And then we get dunked in the water and we're not dunked or dipped or immersed, but we're baptized. And the strong distinction of that, where somehow uh, baptism, uh, which involves that baptism into death and so also a baptism unto life because our substance has changed. We're no longer a cucumber, but we're a pickle. Um, that's what I want us to think about. So, the Dalai Lama, um, and this is worth it. This is really from my brother. This is probably one of our favorite uh, quotes, and it's a force. I know it, but, you so know, jump we, need <laughs> we need to hear this. And so. I make my way where to We need to hear this. And get out of, looper, of course, we don't know how looper? Caddyshack, of looper. course. So. Okay. looper, jack. So, I tell them I'm a pro-jack. And what do you think it can the Dali Lama, the 12 son of the Lama, the flowing robes, the grace, all striking. <laughs> Come on the first I'm on a first tee, What I'm going to the driver. He hauls off and whacks with the big hitter, the into a 10,000 foot crevice right at the base of this glacier. Do you know what the says? Lama says? No. So, when you finish 18, he's going to stiff me. And I say, hey, lamma, hey, I'm on a little something, you know, for the effort, you know. And he says, oh, uh, it won't be any money. But when you die on your deathbed, you will receive total consciousness. So, I got that going. I don't know why I like that so much. But see, I knew I liked y'all because you all laughed. Um, that was worth a minute and 17 seconds. Um, what, what, what am I picking on here? I don't know. I was telling Steve and Eve this before. The Dalai Lama, who I don't know, by the way, um, he may or may not have said these. It really doesn't matter. This is just kind of common wisdom. Frank and I went to Frank Limehouse to... Uh, Hey, uh, the Christian Product Expo in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. That's what. those are the kind of junkets that you get to do when you work for a church. You know, I talk to my friends who are attorneys and all that, and they go, "Where'd you go? Oh, we went to New York or Chicago or you know the Cayman Islands." I go to Murfreesboro. Um, uh, why did I go there? Um, Christian Product Expo. It doesn't matter. It's not even the Dalai Lama. I mean, this stuff is all over the church. I mean, it's all over the church. Um, we could have filled this store with every just awful trinket and kitsch. It's actually the only thing that makes these things interesting is to see how bad this stuff is. Except you also realize that people are banking their whole lives on some of these ornaments and, and wall hangings about sayings that look just like this. Um, i not going to read all these. Happiness is not something ready-made. It comes from your own actions. My religion is very simple. My religion is kindness. If you think you're too small to make a difference, Try sleeping with a mosquito. Every day, think as you wake up. Today I am fortunate to be alive. I have a precious human life. I'm not going to waste it. I'm going to use all my energies to develop myself. I'm going to have kind thoughts towards others. I'm not going to get angry or think badly about others. I'm going to get I'm going to benefit others as much as I can. I mean it goes on. Um, choose to be optimistic. It feels better. Be gentle with the earth. Share your knowledge once a year. Uh, go someplace you've never been before. There's nothing wrong with this. Um, I hope the people that I ride, uh, who, who drive next to me, uh, my commute home would be a lot better if everybody listened to the Dalai Lama. Their commute would be a lot better if I listened to the Dalai Lama. Um, and that's true. Um, so I don't want to say it's you know it's not true. The problem is, it's not true. It's not rooted. Um, a huge... Vacuum begins to fill when you start to think about how do you do this? Because, yeah, you can do it some of the time consciously, conscious effort, et cetera, and so forth. But what about when you can't? It doesn't have an answer for that. And then primarily, it doesn't have an answer for the big things. You know, what's usually called theodicy. That's what keeps a lot of us up. um, The thing that makes a lot of us angry or fearful. How do I make sense when things go wrong? How do I make sense of getting drowned in the Red Sea or in the floods of Noah? Um, what happens when things don't go well? When my karma, which is always cyclical, what comes around, goes around, anything which you know has some connection to what you put into it, you're going to get something back. Um, uh, when karma's not enough, because I put everything into it, and I still got just smashed. I still got totally cracked. Um, you need something else, and that's where the Dalai Lama is mean. These Christmas, these Christmas ornaments. I mean, you should have seen them. I mean, they were big hearts and they were red and they had you know Jesus in the middle and a lot of them say faith. And they don't say faith in what? Just like just just believe. It's you feel better. Be optimistic. It feels better. Where's the root? Where's the help? Um, wouldn't it be nice? Yeah, it would. It'd be great. Um, but here in this world, there's no there's no help there. There's no there there. Uh, what then is the root? Um, I need to wrap up. Um, let me just skip over a lot and come back to this. Romans 4:25, which we talked about before. Um, Christ Jesus was delivered over for our trespasses and raised for our justification. It comes back to the historical event of, of, a, of Good Friday and Easter. It really happened. Rather than just sort of having it out there, karma, the Dalai Lama, um, faith, and who knows what, um, uh, you know, a hope uh, or you know, placing our hope in the summary of the law, Um, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. And that's called the Shema, which comes out of Deuteronomy. Um, And and, and likewise, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, Or the golden rule, which is also, of course, in our our Gospels. Um, Do unto others as you wish they would do to you. Put it in the negative. Don't do to people what you don't want them to do to you. That's all common. That's what we would come up with if I locked the doors and we ate pizza for five days. It would be something with how to work right on this plane with everybody else. And a lot of times it, it, it helps. It feels good. But there's nothing here. Because we're going to sit in here long enough and somebody's going to get cancer. Somebody's going to uh, get angry at another. Somebody's going to hoard. Somebody who has is going to get more. Somebody doesn't have is going to go without. And there's no response to that. God came in and he had a response for that. And he was delivered over for our sins. And he was raised for our justification. And if that were really true, that if the entire history of the world goes in two you know, parts of the scales, there are those who are alive and those who are dead, the ones who are dead, you know, so far by two to one at least, they outnumber um, in the history of the world. Ha. Uh, that's true, save one. Um, one died and came back and never died again. If that's true, one died, came back, and never died again, then what could that mean? Um, that's the question was going to sort of leave hanging. And then we'll kind of pick that up somewhere in Romans 7. In the history of the world, the true statement is everybody, even those few who were resurrected, like Lazarus, they died again. One person was brought back to life and never died again. And that defeat of death If that were true, a historical event, then what does that mean? That's going to be how we approach uh, Romans 7, and especially Romans 8. So let me pray. Father, take these words, feebly and humbly offered, and make them yours. Word them, I pray, so that uh, as that word becomes a verb, your work is done your way in each of our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.